Hi everyone, I'm Lily, Chair of the China Care Advocacy Committee, and today I'm joined by my co-chair Ling. How are you doing, Ling? I'm doing great, and I'm excited about the guests we have with us today. Do you want to introduce who they are? Yeah, sure. So Ling and I are joined by two WashU students, Jessica Yu and Patrick Zhou, who will be seniors this fall. They will be sharing their perspectives on remote learning, how the pandemic has affected their summer and future plans, as well as current events such as the United States-China conflict and the Black Lives Matter movement. And by the way, this will be part one of a two-part episode featuring Jess and Patrick. So be sure to check out part two once this episode is over. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jess and Patrick. How are you guys? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, too. Thanks for having me as well. It's wonderful. Are you guys still in St. Louis or are you guys back home? Um, I'm back home, but I'll be back in St. Louis towards the end of August. I'm back home, too, in California. I'm not sure if I'm going back, but most likely not. Yeah, a lot of people are in that situation. Um, how have you guys been passing the time? Do you guys, uh, did you have to change any of your previous plans for the summer? And did you guys pick up any new hobbies or interests? Yeah, my plans actually did change a little bit. I was actually supposed to cons- continue uh, research, uh, summer research um, before. I did that last summer, but I was supposed to do that this summer as well, but that got canceled. So I've just been staying at home not doing much for the most part. I've been creating some artwork and also teaching some Chinese kids English overseas. Um, and I spent a lot of time of my free time out in nature hiking. Sasha, what type of research do you do? Um, so actually last year during the summer, I did research at Stanford. It was um, biomedical data science. I was actually doing research on uh, different types of cancer trials. I was actually supposed to continue that this year, but I wasn't able to. Yeah, uh, I asked that because I also do research. (laughs) And the funny Uh thing is I was also supposed to continue my last summer's research, Uh but then COVID hit, so I had to change directions. Yeah, my research (laughs) internship got canceled. And it's also related to cancer. So I was just like, oh, interesting. But yeah, but my original plans were to do research because I'm part part of the Mark Ustar program. So part of that means I'm supposed to be doing research uh, for the last two years of my undergrad at the very least. And then the other thing I was supposed to do was my Civic Scholars summer project. Um, but my community partner there, they were kind of swamped with working on the transition with COVID. So um, I decided to change gears into what I've been doing now. So I'm part of um, undergraduate and graduate workers union. So I've been helping them with organizing on that. And then also, working on a socioeconomic petition, which looks for increasing funding for low-income student programs at WashU, and been hosting educational workshops on like civic issues or social issues. And then lastly, I'm also doing my Deneb Stars summer internship because our coordinator got furloughed for the summer. So there's a lot of work that needed to be done. Yeah, it's definitely good that like you were able to adjust and redirect your plans especially like research being canceled and stuff like that. So I guess like going back to before the summer started, uh, we're wondering how you guys managed to like wrap up your semester successfully. And what are your thoughts on like remote learning? I thought it was okay, given the circumstances. I thought for the most part, the teachers did the best that they could. So I'm a business major and also an art major. I thought the business classes were run pretty well. And I actually preferred it online because they recorded the classes for the classes that wouldn't have had recordings if we didn't do Zoom. But 
for my Sam Fox classes, I really did not think that online learning worked out because a lot of the stuff that you have to do in Sam Fox is very hands-on and it's just super cumbersome. And for the most part, it doesn't make sense to hold them online. I, at least for me, I didn't have a class like ceramics or metal shop, but I know people who did have ceramics. Well, I asked people who did have ceramics how they were supposed to do ceramics, not in studio. And it just seemed like it didn't make a lot of sense what they were doing. I think for the most part, we, had, we did what we had to do, but I don't prefer this style of learning. For me, remote learning just sucked because I feel like I need to be kept like on a schedule. So when they like took off that and just shift to recording, I was like, okay, now I have to self-regulate. Well, I guess that's great because then I have to learn how to self-regulate. <laughs> and it is convenient for classes that like don't offer recordings and they suddenly do. And uh, sometimes you, if you miss class, like you have that there and I think that's very helpful. But something I also think about COVID has made it really more acceptable for you to like reach out to people at other schools or other scholars or people you would never have thought to talk to before like other professors at other schools and just set up like a Zoom call. At least for me, that's how it has been. And I think that's like a good reframe and thinking like, what are some good things that came out of this situation? And other things are just like, I recognize a lot of professors have become more accommodating for students and they see people as people, right? Like they understand that you're going through a pandemic, you're gonna have mental health crises. You might not even be thinking about your academics right now because you ran out of money for the week. So I think that's good in terms of recentering how education we're teaching people and not just like machines trying to grind out information. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I can relate with like how hard it is to stay motivated. And like you said, hopefully students and professors will like continue to find new ways uh, this upcoming semester to take classes together remotely in an engaging way. So we're wondering, you know, with these difficulties in mind, do you guys have any suggestions for professors for remote learning in the fall? Remember, whenever you're creating your curriculum or someone asks for an extension, just remember like this pandemic still exists. Everything that applied last semester should still apply this semester. In my opinion, we should still be allowed to take however many classes we want pass fail. Um, just because, again, people are not in the same environments as they typically would be for school. Uh, remember your low-income students and students from unstable home environments. People don't have, like, the best Wi-Fi situation. There will be students who are working other jobs. Uh, and also just, like, the pandemic will worsen a lot of people's mental health. Like, even if you didn't have, even if you weren't working through mental health issues before, and it will exacerbate like the inequities that already exist in the US. So just try to like be mindful that the sort of barriers that were, so to say, like erased when everyone was brought to campus, that's no longer true. We also recognize that you're trying your best because you're also affected by the pandemic. So don't be too hard on yourself either. I agree with Jess on professors. They should be mindful of student situations. But I think on the most part, a lot of professors are doing the best that they can given the circumstances that they're under. There's definitely a lot of problems. Like I still don't think Sam Fox's Sam Fox classes really should or could even operate under these circumstances. But like, what can you do? They still have to go on, but it just really doesn't make any sense to do so. Professors aren't the only ones that have to make major adjustments for the upcoming semester. Uh, we know that student organizations also have to accommodate the current circumstances. 
Justice involved in Asian and Pacific Islanders demanding justice, a political community organizing group for Asian and Pacific Islanders students at WashU to engage with social issues. And Patrick is the former president of Chinese Students Association or CSA, an organization that aims to provide a community for Asians and Chinese Americans, a place to learn about and appreciate Chinese culture, as well as foster a social environment. We'd love to hear about your experiences as members in these organizations uh, during the pandemic. Patrick, do you want to start off first by talking about what your club does? Mm, yeah, for sure. So what we've done previously in the past is we, the, we try to engage the larger um, Chinese identifying group in WashU. We try to increase our GBM involvement so so that they can have a sense of belonging in WashU if they want it. And we're not like forcing them to do so, but like if there if there's like a high school student, for example, who previously never really explored their Chinese identity before, we want to be there to provide that platform for them to do so if they so choose to. Um, so like we host events such as um, we every single year so far we've been able to bring speakers to campus, which we're really grateful for. They provide a lot of valuable insight. They don't necessarily have to be Chinese, but usually they're Asian or they could speak on something interesting that our community would like to hear. Um, we also have like just fun days where we take our members out to different places such as like get food, hike, go to the movies, going to the Chinese culture days at the Botanical Gardens in Missouri, dumpling making workshops, things like that along those lines. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be hard to figure out ways to transition that remotely, especially with like a lot of the activities you mentioned, it's very uh, interactive and in-person. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of shifting topics, I know you also follow closely to the situations in China in a special relationship with the United States. Could you offer us some of your personal insights about how this pandemic might be contributing to the U.S.-China conflict? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, uh, well, the U.S. and China relations have been deteriorating for a while now. It kind of really hit home. Okay, so my mom used to work for Huawei. And then when Trump started attacking ZTE and Huawei, my, my mom actually got laid off from Huawei. And the office here in Silicon Valley was dissolved, basically. That was basically when I applied to, when I just got into WashU. So that was a while ago. But I think China-US China, China relations have been going downhill ever since, and this pandemic is just making things worse. In the very beginning, we saw how Trump would basically ignore the coronavirus. He said, oh, I'm sure China's got a handle on this. Oh, this is nothing. He just blew it off. Like he didn't really think it was anything. Thought it was just basically like the flu. But in the end, it was definitely going to catch up to the United States, especially when the first few cases of like community transmission popped up in the United States. It was very obvious that we were not going to be able to handle it, given the attitudes of the very top level government officials of the United States. And so it's, I think it's pretty obvious that like a person like Trump does not want to take responsibility for anything that he does that's negative. And in the end, he would always find someone else to blame. And China is an easy target for this. And it's kind of understandable why Trump would choose to target China, because it really is politically expedient and appeals to a lot of people. Because it started, it, it started from there. For all we know, 
patient zero came from China. I think no matter what, China would have been blamed for this COVID disaster. Um, so I think relation souring would have been inevitable. But given this situation, given the fact that it would have been inevitable that the blame got pinned on China, I still believe that how China chose to respond was very, very bad and totally unprofessional as well. So it was during the, during the pandemic, I think China really kind of did a U-turn on their diplomacy. So they have a new style of diplomacy called wolf warrior diplomacy. And so this term wolf warrior is basically inspired by like Chinese patriotic movies. Um, and so how these ambassadors would react on, so I follow these ambassadors and government officials on Twitter. So all these official, there's a bunch of official Chinese government accounts on Twitter and the way that they've chosen to respond and do their form of diplomacy has been extremely crass. Like they've taken a page out of Trump's own, own book in that, you know, when the whole world is facing such a devastating crisis and things are already not looking good for China, instead of trying to offer its sympathy to countries, most of the times you see these ambassadors and official government accounts comparing China's socialist model versus Western democracy models and them trying to demonstrate how their system is working better than these Western democracies. And they, they do this because they, they want to show off how well China handled the crisis, which China did respond very well, as you can see from the low number of cases, but it's just very irresponsible and very tone deaf at a moment like this to try to compare yourself to other people and sh and basically be like, oh yeah, look at how well I'm doing, look at how bad they are doing. So I just think it's it's been really bad so far. Yeah. So what do you think are like some of the consequences for this tone deaf attitude that you mentioned? I think this tone deafness is not going to help any two sides reach any sort of understanding. Because I like, look recently, the Chinese, the U.S. government now wants to ban TikTok and, well, the more important one, I think, is WeChat because WeChat is like the only form of communication a lot of us as Chinese Americans have connections with our families in China because China has blocked everything from the United States. And when you cut off, when you completely cut off any sort of communication between two huge populations of people, there's going to be more there's bound to be more room for misunderstanding from both parties like one of the gripes i really have with china right now is i feel like what china is missing is soft power they don't project a lot of soft power on the world and chinese people are very patriotic i feel like if china just opened up some social media platforms such as twitter facebook which they have official government accounts on, to its citizens. Citizens, its own citizens would be able to promulgate like Chinese views, Chinese culture, Chinese ideas onto the internet, which is shared with the rest of the world. And people could start to understand each other better rather than think like, oh, like a one, very one dimensional view of Chinese people and 
vice versa, Chinese people having a very one-dimensional view of Americans or Western people. We're going to leave off right here. Patrick offered us some insightful comments on the U.S.-China conflict today. In the next episode, Jess adds to this conversation by comparing the government attitudes on Hong Kong protests in China and Black Lives Matter protests in the U.S. Tune into the next episode to hear exactly what she has to say.